When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A couple of armchair GMs who have yet to be wrong with any of their Timberwolves takes. <laughs> right. It's Flagrant Howls with Phil Mackey and Kyle Tykey. Yes, welcome in to your favorite Minnesota Timberwolves lifestyle podcast where we just want the Timberwolves to win 30 games. Oh, wait. Are we, are we, are we keeping we, it 50? Is we it, just want the Timberwolves to win three games in a row yeah, before we die. We, we just want the Timberwolves to not look like a disaster. Uh, <laughs> so, well, there's a lot of things to get into here today, my friend Kyle. Um, we will, toward the end of the episode, we will go back into the comment section. Phil and Kyle read the comments. But the Timberwolves are sitting here after... I love every time they're on TNT... The thing I'm the most interested in is when they get to halftime, like what is Charles Barkley or yep. Shaq going to say about the team? Mm-hmm. And, of course, Barkley, I don't have it in front of me, but I, if I remember the quote right, he called them idiots for right. Yeah, of course. They're, they're running two seven-footers out there. They're idiots. <laughs> well, he, he said, he's like, you know, I said this before, but I hate that, or I hated that trade. And I'm going to be honest with you, it actually made me like the trade more. Like it was the, like the, that Barkley hates it? The yeah. confirmation. That I was like, oh, wait, Charles is on that side? Like, okay, good. That probably means it was a good trade. But, yeah, they also – they. Do you remember how they ripped apart? They did that graphic of like these dominant big men duos. It was like Duncan and Robinson and all these historic guys like McHale and Parrish. And then it was like Horford and Rob Williams and Carl and Rudy. Uh, and I think Charles and Shaq both had some things to say about that that we can't repeat here. But uh, no, yeah. uh, I, that, that's always a good time. I also, as good as Kevin Harlan is, and I know he's a legend here as well. Oh, are you going to um, rip Kevin Harlan right now? No, no, no. I love Kevin Harlan, but I'm really just... Every time we complain about not being on national TV enough, it's like, yeah, but that's more time that I don't get to hear Jim Pete talk. And it's like, sure. And I love Kevin Harlan, but you know what? I'm actually okay. Just put 82 of those on, on Bally. Let other people in the city actually access the Bally Sports Network. Um, but I'm okay with no more televised games on ESPN. They just don't, they don't watch the team anyway. So yeah. Aren't they on ESPN? Yeah. They're Friday on ESPN. Friday against the Bucks. Yes. So you're going to get, you're going to get that perspective as well. I love me some Kevin Harlan, some, Goog- he's, some he's googly oogly oogly baby from yep. the the 90s. But I do, yeah, it is tough because J- Jim Pete is obviously like he is as plugged in and following as close yep. as anyone. So he can kind of get into the nuance of, of why things are happening more. But let's now let's you and I get into the nuance of why things are happening here <laughs> as, as much as we can. You sent me this from uh, from my guy, uh, Jake's Graphs, who makes hilarious Legend. merchandise as well that you should go buy if you are a Wolves fan, and uh, he took a snippet from an NBA.com article. like te- I think this was kind of a 10-year look back. Yep. So this is published eight years ago, and it's a 10-year look back at the greatest Timberwolves team of all time. 
And we've referenced this team a few times here on Flagrant Howls as, as sort of a barometer for how much time you have to give a team to gel before you can start really mm-hmm. wringing your hands. And I've probably been a little guilty of jumping that gun here <laughs> just with some of the things we've seen. Shocker. Uh, but that team started 9-8. and eight. That team was just kind of toiling back and forth between a couple wins here and then a couple losses, two steps forward, step back. And it looked and felt kind of clunky. And I do remember, you know, 20 games into that season, just watching as as a gigantic fan, thinking, oh, man, this is this is not going as well as we thought, right? They made these big acquisitions. They finally put some professionals around Kevin Garnett, some established, <laughs> known, all-star caliber players in Cassell and Sprewell. And here they are just kind of floating around 500 at the bottom end of the bracket. And here's the write-up. And as I read this, for the audience and for Kyle, you sent this to me, so you've already read this, but <laughs> there's there are parallels potentially to be drawn with yes. this team. And so here's, here's a snippet. Flip Saunders called a meeting in his office that featured Kevin Garnett, Latrell Spree- uh, Sprewell, and Sam Cassell late in November of that 2003-2004 season. This group featured a big three which was brought together with such anticipation in the offseason, and they were floundering. The Wolves were 9-8 and eight after a November 29th loss to Dallas in their first 17 games that essentially just treaded water. Something wasn't quite right, and it wasn't the personnel. The people on the roster seemed to be the right mix. KG was the leader, of course. Sam Cassell or Charles Sprewell were hired help thanks to offseason acquisitions. The role players were doing what Flip Saunders and the coaching staff wanted, but the big three seemed a bit lost, timid, unwilling to take charge. This needed to change. Sam Cassell, reflecting back, said, quote, We didn't want to step on anyone's toes. So Flip pulled us in the office one day and said, We won't be successful until you guys, the big three, hold each other accountable. Until you guys yell at each other. The three of us burst out laughing because it was the truth. And after that, it was over. It was as simple as bringing the truth out in the open. How does that land with you as you think about this year's team? I think it's kind of perfect, right? I know we joked about having to do power or leadership power rankings in September because we had to fill the void. But now I'm starting to think that you and I were trendsetters in terms of kind of blazing the trail of who <laughs> is, who is, well, we, we won't talk about this on Monday too, but who is this team's voice during adversity? And I've always said, and I, I do believe this, whether it be basketball, your job, your family, like if you, if you have to think about who is that leader or the hierarchy during adversity, during an emergency, during a bad time, then you're already effed. Like you need to know that instinctively that when things get really bad, like I joke with my friends on the side, who, if the Wolves have a players only meeting this season, who is going to hold it? Oh, and I think that's a really good question because I don't think you have an instant answer. Um, and then fast forward to this morning, I know that shoot around, clearly they lost since the last time you and I spoke to the Suns, um, but Dane, Dane Moore had a couple good uh, quotes um, from Jalen Noel where he referred to Torian Prince as the leader of the film room, and he said he's just calling everybody out, like whoever it is, whether it's the number one guy or the number 15th guy, he's calling everybody out, and that's where you get the respect from everybody. I remember being at media, or, uh, exit interviews right after they lost game six, um, Saturday morning earlier this year, and all the guys that came up answered a bunch of questions and they all went out of their way differently without even being pressed 
to talk about how Torian Prince was the bona fide leader. Like, you thought it was Pat Bev. He was the vocal one. But on the road, Torian Prince would invite Nas and Jalen into the hotel room and not just talk about hoops and X's and O's, but, like, financial management. Or you don't think you're getting paid enough. This is why you got to work harder to get that next deal. So it's kind of funny because we think about that 0304 team. You and I talk about it damn near every week as almost just kind of being like all you remember is perfect. It was the best year in Timberwolves history. But what this article shows you, Phil, is that they had their bumps and bruises, right? They had to kind of grind for a while, tread water, as the article Mm -hmm. says, to get to that level. And I think that's what we're kind of in now. It hasn't been fun. The Suns game was brutal. The Spurs game was unwatchable. But it might be some of those kind of dominoes that lead towards voices in that locker room starting to stand up a little more because we talked about it. Who's going to fill Pat Bev's void? And it, maybe it's Torian Prince. But I think, it's, I think this is a really big deal, and it's a really timely article to read and reflect on. Yes. I think there's a lot of parallels here, but there's yeah. also a lot of key differences in that, okay, mm-hmm. if, if, if Flip Saunders <laughs> is going to call a come-to-Jesus meeting and bring especially Kevin Garnett and Sam Cassell in, and Spreewell too, and says, guys, I need you to lead. Yep. I need you Take to get after each other, and th- this is your deal. This is not, I can't fix this, this is your deal. Well, we know Kevin Garnett and Sam Cassell, with championship pedigree as well, uh, that those guys were alpha personalities yep. with credibility capable yep. of doing that thing. And I think that's the biggest question the fact that Torian Prince is is leading film sessions and, and st- that's awesome, but I think it also needs to come from the group of Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and yep. or Anthony Edwards, mm-hmm. and those guys don't have the same. Edwards might at some point. I, I still think he's immature and young and twenty one. I just I don't I don't know that this is the year that he's going to say all right. Like Kevin Garnett at age 29 or whatever in 2003. Yep. All right, guys, this is, uh, I see the playing field clearly here. This is my deal. Uh, and I don't know that Gobert, Cat, and D'Lo have the credibility or the alpha personalities to do it. And that's what makes this a little bit different than the team from 18 years ago. No, and that that's fair. Uh, I think of Torian Prince, again, the Wolves and the Warriors are two different franchises. I am well aware of that. But I do think Torian Prince is kind of this team's Andre Iguodala in terms of that vet that all the guys respect. I still think back to when the the Warriors made their finals run again last season. There was this, there was this video during the playoffs where Iguodala was on the bench and he sprinted off the bench to grab Wiggins on a free throw. Like I think some other team was shooting free throws. And he kind of got in his ear and just kind of yelled at him. Mm-hmm. And it was like that point on Wiggins averaged like 14 rebounds a game. Yeah. Um, so I think Torian Prince is kind of their Iguodala. But back to your point, the culture of the Warriors was still set by some combination of Steph, Clay, and Draymond. The culture now with Pat out and Vando out has to be, you still have to have the best, most talented, highest paid players speak up and lead. Mm-hmm. And that's the part I don't have an answer to yet. I don't know who outside of TP is willing to talk and has can back it up by being a starter, scoring a lot of points, like being highly paid. So that remains to be seen. Um, I know who I, th- I know who I think it should be, but it remains to be seen if those people are actually going to fill the void. Ant kind of disappointed me after that Suns game when he came out and, and he was, there was a moment where he was looking at the box score and it was him sitting next to Jordan McLaughlin mm-hmm. And Ant is looking at the box score for like 15 seconds or whatever while the media is kind of waiting. 
and and he's had this wow moment of oh you guys off the bench were all plus 14 plus 12 plus 20 or whatever and we were all minus as starters yeah. and we gotta you know we will figure it out we gotta figure it out but he also made a comment about being tired during that game against the Suns and he's already had the comment too about being bad on back-to-backs and so I, I will say from just a lead by example or just leadership perspective the fact that and he's 21 I get it the fact that Anthony Edwards has already said that he's bad on back-to-backs and he's tired during a Suns mm-hmm. game on national TV just raises a little red flag to me. Hey, guy, come on. This is your third year. You don't get to just be – why are you tired eighth game into the season? So that disappointed it, me a little. I'll just throw that out there. No, and you're right. And th- that's like the negative. The, the, the pro would be that he usually kind of, as he did a week ago when we talked about uh, Popeye's gate – he lets kind of the stuff just kind of go off his back. Like he doesn't worry too much. And he always says, I'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I think that's good leadership to be like, you know what? We're not, we're, I'm not going to talk about it with you, but like we're going to figure this out. Yeah. And he owns it too. You know, I need to do a better job. I need to. Yep. You 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 shoulder blame, deflect credit. That's that's a good good sign of leadership. I think the, ne- you know, the prescription f- to remedy this, and it sucks, but. You know, the first two years, we loved how Ant just told you everything. I always joked, like, I hope PR doesn't get to him and try to, like, you know, refrain him from just being who he is. He just tells you what's on his mind. I'm hungry. This is what I'm going to eat. Like, he tells you. We're probably getting to that phase now as a leader and as a franchise player that maybe he shouldn't tell you everything, right? We don't need to know all that stuff. If you are tired, that's not something you should say eight games into the season, right? Especially when... The other day, you're like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I added all this muscle. Watch all these videos I posted in the summer. So, unfortunately, for Ant to kind of take that next step, he might have to have some sort of governor on what he doesn't release to the public because in the past, he's built this Q rating by just saying whatever's on his mind, and everyone yeah. loves it. Well, again, in twice in a week span, you can't be like, yeah, I've been eating you know, Popeyes, and then I'm tired. Like, you can't, you can't do that. But to his credit, I do think – that when he's, I, I like when he takes ac- like accountability. And that you don't see that a lot in professional athletes, especially twenty-one-year-olds. So um, it's a mixed bag, and I, I think we're starting to see Ant learn about being a leader again. He had some, his, he had his first kind of off-the-court situation earlier this year, and how he's handled that. So this might just all be, as that article referenced again, just a chapter in in the book of of this season and how this team hopefully kind of builds off of some of their mistakes and hiccups. So I don't know where we're at in terms of the, the early season evaluation. I'm, I'm sure the Timberwolves, Chris Finch, and, and the front office had a plan of, okay, so based on everything that we've researched and studied and the practices in training camp, this is the starting five. This, these are the rotations on paper. Let's roll it out and see what happens. I'm cu- And they haven't done a ton of tweaking. I mean, obviously, the starting lineup has been the starting lineup. They've tried yep. some different – there's been a couple injuries here and there, and they've tried some different combinations. But, you know, the first eight games, they have they start with the same five. They largely finish with the starting five, and, you know, there's been some some varying results. Where do you think they're at in, in that process? Do you think they set out and said, all right, it, we got to go 15 games or 20 games with yeah. this starting five, or – do you think, based on some of the things we've seen, I mean, the glaring one that we've already, we've been out, congratulations to us, we're, uh, we're not right all the time, but we were out in front of this Jordan McLaughlin thing saying, yep. boy, I mean, look at, some of the, look at some of the lineup combinations. You know, for me, it's, it's very obvious. Jordan McLaughlin deserves 
as many minutes as you can give him mm-hmm. and as many minutes with Anthony Edwards as you can give him because those that's one of the best two-man pairings of, of anyone on the team so far. How close do you think they're getting to making some tweaks and changes here that maybe even could make egos and, and, and veterans uncomfortable? D'Lo, for instance. I think we're, you know, I think it's a big month. November is for Chris Finch. We just talked about that article and that kind of players' own big three meeting with Flip. They're 9-8. and eight. That's 17 games. We're at 8 right now. So we've seen enough from Jordan McLaughlin to know he should play more. We've seen enough from Nas Reed to know that he should play more. And we've seen enough from Jalen Noel to know that he should play more. And it's starting to be like, you know, there's rumblings of last week it was kind of like trade Carl, and now this week it's trade D'Lo. <laughs> as much as i love video games as much as i love the woge bombs and the notifications <laughs> as well i would bet my life that they don't trade anyone in november and it just goes back to the fact that it's like december 8th or something is when all the guys that signed deals this summer are eligible to be traded so why would you trade when 60 percent of the league is available instead of 100 percent of the league it just gives yeah. you more opportunities so i do to answer your original question think finch Tim Connolly, all the Avengers in the front office thought, okay, we have to just keep pushing square pegs through round holes for these first 15, 20 games. I don't think Chris Finch is trying to lose games in October, early November, but I necessarily don't think Chris Finch is also, I think he's shaving percentage points off of how much he's trying to win because he just wants to get enough sample size so that when he does make one of those hard decisions, which you know, covering sports your whole life, could lead to political things behind the scenes and bruised egos and all that stuff. He can at least present them with, look at this, man. We got 20 games of sample size, and it just didn't work. So we're going to pull the plug. If you pull the plug too early, it might give you a win or two here or there, but it's going to cause issues. Again, this is a marathon, and it is November 3rd. Like we, we're gonna, November is going to be a big month for Chris Finch to figure this out and to see who we can trust moving forward. Yes, I will, I will note, so I, I threw this tweet out yesterday, and it, it got some traction just starting a conversation about lineup combinations. And uh, I was looking at, th- <laughs> this is ridiculous. I woke up yesterday and spent like an hour just going through lineup combinations, just, just laying in bed. Oh, you're like, totally you know, in it now. Just, I love it. This is, <laughs> that's the best. Welcome to the club. Like, how can we tweak this thing? What's going on? And, uh, and, and this is a grain of salt for two reasons. Number one being sample size, eight mm-hmm. games. And number two being some of the lineups and combos that are performing better than others are also because they might be in against backups. We, the opponent puts backups in. Yeah. So you got to be a little careful with, with some of this. But it's very telling to me that of the, of the Wolves' five best three-man lineup combos, so this player, this player, this player on the court mm-hmm. together, Jordan McLaughlin is, is part of the three best lineup combos. Mm-hmm. Um, J-Mac... Jalen Noel, Torian Prince is their best three-man lineup combo. Some of this is because Torian Prince is off to a torrid shooting start, too. He's incredible. So any combination he's part of includes like his 50% three-point rate to start the year. Uh, but that group is 40 points, plus 40 points per 100. But then the next groupings all have Ant and or Ant and McLaughlin together. Mm-hmm. So I would look at some of these if I'm... <laughs> This is me giving Chris Finch advice on how to coach and lineup combinations. But, but I think there's some things you can build off of here and say, all right, as we as we deconstruct this, there's clearly something with Jordan McLaughlin, and there's clearly something with Jordan McLaughlin and Anthony Edwards and Jordan McLaughlin and Jalen Noel. 
these these wing players that can yeah. score at different levels. Jordan McLaughlin is brilliant at setting those guys up in the best possible spot to get a mismatch or whatever it may be, right? So I would almost start there and say, okay, how can we get those guys together, those duos or those trios together for X amount of minutes per game? Mm-hmm. And if if you can deconstruct it that way, if it happens to eat into like the starting lineup or whatever, I don't care. I'm not I'm not looking at this point. If I have to hurt D'Angelo Russell's feelings to get mm-hmm. the best thing for the team, I'm kind of past that personally. But I also understand that you can't just make a decision without thinking about the consequences behind the scenes or like the decision to take D'Lo and bring him down a peg or bench him or whatever should not be done lightly or flippantly. But I'm kind of done just appeasing egos at yeah, this that, point. That's fair. And I think you you hit the nail on the head. You said you're ready to do that. And so to answer your question a little earlier, I don't think they're ready to do that yet. Mm-hmm. But instead of worrying that they would never do it, we have that sample of game six where when Finch was in a do-or-die situation, he just made the call and he just put McLaughlin in. Um, but I just I think, again, this is the least the last thing anyone wants to hear after a loss, but I think they're just gonna double up this sample size so that they have enough data that shows. I mean, you know, one of the McLaughlin, one of the things with this team right now is they can't shoot. Well, Jordan McLaughlin's shooting 16% from three. He's probably mm-hmm. taken like a dozen shots. But so there are things that, you know, his his ceiling is not as high as what Delo's ceiling is. But now you're starting to navigate, okay, but is his floor a little higher than what Delo's floor is? Because Delo's floor at times can be really um, detrimental to the team. So I, I just think Finch is, back to your point, Finch has just got to say, okay, we have, I'm going to do this until they get rid of me in Wolves coverage. He has all these ingredients, and it's like Jordan McLaughlin is, I don't know, the celery. It's like, okay, the celery doesn't go with the mashed potatoes, but it goes really well with this, this, and this, and we're just going to lean into more stuffing. We're just yeah. going to have more stuffing. And we definitely like mashed potatoes, and yes, we definitely but, want to include them. But we're but making just a double batch of stuffing. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think and he has to do that, and it's the same with Nas. It's the same with Jalen. At some point, you have to just start to dance with the guys that, that got you there, and that's been my biggest critique with Finch is that he always – goes back to that starting five to close games. And I think it's not because he's a bad coach or dumb. I just think he's trying to see square peg round hole. Can I figure out a way to make this work? Yeah. And if it's, you know, if we're setting the table on whatever, November 27th or whatever, and it's still not working, he seems like a guy who is not scared of the egos, Phil. He will yep. make the switch. Yep. And at some point, I would be curious if they deem this starting five to not be working at the level that they want. And it's not it's not really to this point. It's not a train wreck, but right. uh, largely this starting five is getting is getting outscored when they're on the court. And uh, and they could they could change that. It's it, it's early, but he's been he's been very consistent with like this is this group of five has played hundred and twenty two minutes together. The next group of five has only played fourteen minutes together. So like this is the the five man group <laughs> yeah. that's on the court yep. more than any other five man group is not even close. Uh, and so if you if then if you start to look, okay, Towns and Gobert, I'm not ready to say that Towns and Gobert don't work together. I think they I think they might work together. I think they've I've I've been more bullish on them after seeing it work out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um it's it, it's surprising because we went into this thinking, okay, the offense is gonna be humming in October. It's gonna take a while to figure out the defense. I think so far defensive rating, they're like seventh in the league. It's the defense yeah. that's been better and the offense that's stagnant, and that's combined with one thing that, again, you and I have been right more than I thought we'd be. 
we just talked, we just spent 12 minutes on Jalen Noel, Nas Reed, and Jordan McLaughlin. The depth that we predicted, this is the deepest team in franchise history. They have, I'd be more concerned if the starting lineup couldn't figure it out and then it was you, me, and Judd on the bench. Like, that's not the case. They have real guys. Now you just got to figure out the different lineups and rotations. Yes. And I, I think before you start to say at some point, well, Cat and Gobert, just, they're two seven footers. These idiots, like Charles Barkley, they can't play yeah, right. together. I would start to look at the pieces around them. Are the pieces mm-hmm. around them complementing them in the right. way that they need to? So you look, Rudy Gobert has, I think he has the best rebounding rate in the NBA. He's doing mm-hmm. it. Rudy Gobert is doing everything that you wanted him to. But the Wolves, as a whole, are a bad rebounding team so far this year. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's not Rudy Gobert's fault. Right. Jaden McDaniels is not really grabbing rebounds this season. Correct. Why right. not? Right. So I, I, I would shine a light on some other things here first. I mean, we already had the D'Angelo Russell conversation. Maybe Cat and Gobert don't work together with those other three guys that are in the starting lineup. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what they deem at some point. Maybe they work better together when it's Jordan McLaughlin or it's Jalen Noel or mm-hmm. Torian, whatever, right? So I'd like to see a little, I'd like to see them move off of this five in some form at some point. Hey, Jaden, you're going to be a spark off the bench. Need you to be more attentive to rebounding and just and make a tweak here or there before I would say these two guys can't play together. And that's because I am a Jaden McDaniels fan club me too, member. by the way. Yeah. I, I, no, and I don't think you're. I don't think anything you said was untrue. He probably is the fall guy at some point. Like, I know it's. We really want to push Jordan McLaughlin in the starting lineup and put Deal on the bench. I wouldn't rule that out over an 82 game season. But to me, the the likely move, if this continues to just tread water, for no better way to say it, uh, is that like TP gets inserted in the starting lineup and Jaden comes off the bench and kind of runs more with the Nas and the in the Jalen group. So I mean Chris Finch has has options here. Um but I, I think you made a really good point too about like Thank you, by it, the it, way. Yeah. You're welcome. If if the Gobert uh-huh. Towns thing, like I didn't check the numbers after the Suns game, but I still think at this point Carl's assisted on half of Rudy's made field goals. Yeah. And then like more than the rest of the entire team. Like you gotta get D and that Gobert pick and roll working. You gotta get Jalen more pick and rolls with him. You gotta get like Ant is just constantly waving Rudy off to set screens. It's like, no, Ant, if you have Rudy come up and set a screen, he's going to give you a longer runway to get to the paint and have your first dunk of the season. Oh. So it's still a work in progress. We're going to be talking about this. Again, we, they're 4-4. Four and four. They're probably going to be 9-8 and eight in a couple weeks, and then Finch will have to call people into his office, and it'll be Ant, you, and me, and we'll figure it out, and then maybe they can kind of take off from there. Yeah. Uh, how how deeply before I spring a game show on you here uh, against your will? How deeply have you looked at some of the just the, the team stats in the last couple of days? I mean, I do technically have a day job, but that's really all I do. It's just okay. like nerd out over stats and just click so, a bunch of filters. So maybe you maybe you already know this, but I I like to look. None of these are perfect, but I do like to look at some of the all encompassing. The stats like PER or win yep, shares, yep. the ones that kind of tell you like offensively, defensively, efficient efficiency. You know, who are the best players? And, like, if you rank the NBA over the course of a full season sample size on win shares per 48, it's going to tell you pretty much what you think, who you think are the best players. Like, Giannis is going to be number one, and Durant's going to be in the top five. Um, who, are the, who are the best three players on the Timberwolves this season, according to win shares per 48? And if you already know this, that's okay. You can just show I off and give me the answer. I don't know this off the top of my head, but I'm going to say... Oh man, I'm gonna say Jalen, Nas, and Carl. You got one of them. 
Oh boy, that's not good. Na- Nas has been. It's a small sample. It's only okay. sixty-five minutes, but okay. Nas is number one. Okay, he's been that effective in his limited playing time. Jalen Noel's actually been the second, uh, third worst player, but not, oh, okay. but not bad. It's not. Yeah. he's not been shipwrecking anything. I think it's part of it's just he hasn't knocked down shots yet. Mm-hmm. He's going to shoot closer to forty percent from three. Mm-hmm. He's he's really struggling shooting right now. I don't think that's going to continue. So that's part of it. Uh, the other two are Rudy Gobert doing his job. Rudy Gobert is doing his job, and Torian Prince, and then Cat is really? fourth right now. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. And that was Winchairs for forty eight. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't. We, this podcast can't go on for six hours, but we could just talk for about Nas for six hours. I just am so impressed by him. And whether it be Nas in the front court or Jordan McLaughlin in the back court, you and I have come to an agreement that these guys just have to be staples of the rotation. But also we're basketball fans in general, and anyone listening to this knows you're not going to beat the, the Grizzlies in a seven-game series if your bread and butter is Jordan McLaughlin, Nas, Reed, pick and roll, right? Like that's, that's, the, that's the sky the, or the sunroof to a really nice car. Like, man, we have a great sunroof, but yeah. – if we don't have the engine working and we don't have power steering, like we're we're screwed. So they still need to find a way to make those four or five guys that are staples of the starting lineup work. But that's I didn't think TP would even be in there. But I guess the in Jordan, do you say Jordan McLaughlin's in there too? What was that? Uh, he's he's got like middle of the pack here. Okay, I cl- okay. I, I closed out here to, yeah, that, to get mean, into some other stuff. Well, actually, yeah, Jordan, the middle like the next chunk includes. Let's see here. Uh, so Cat is in the four, and then. Kyle Anderson hasn't really played. He's played like 50 minutes. But Jade McDaniels, Jordan McLaughlin, Jalen Noel, and then the two, the two worst in terms of the regular rotation have actually been D'Lo and Anthony Edwards. Yep, and, and, they're, and, and they're, in large part because he's had like three just atrociously inefficient games. Mm-hmm. And he also sometimes gets put in the spin cycle with some of it's his fault. Some of it's just the group that's on the floor where <laughs> right. they're just like getting run out of the gym defensively for 10 minutes or something. So. I, I think that stat tells me more than anything, a topic that no one's talking about too much, is that I think Rudy Gobert's left a little meat on the bones. Um, I, 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 he still occasionally finishes with like a finger roll rather than just dunking the ball. Um, there's still maybe a couple too many post-ups, but by, by and large, like he's gobbling up a ton of rebounds, and he's protecting the rim, uh, and he's setting massive screens. So, so far, I've actually really liked what Rudy's given them. Um, but I just think they got to find better ways to utilize him. Uh, and that, that does start with the backcourt because as much as we want to harp on D'Lo, and I think it's well-deserved, if you're a D'Lo fan, you point to his partner and you say, well, Ant's been pretty bad too, and you just said it. Like Some of these games he's been so inefficient and so going back to that Spurs game, you can't not score in the first half. Like, you just can't do that when yeah. you touch the ball so much. So uh, work in progress for them as well, but they got to find a way to jumpstart that. One thing about D'Lo – I mean, the, the the thing, I guess, about D'Lo is that, and I, I bought into this, I did, is that he was supposed to be the glue to all of this. That, yeah, all right, yeah. pick and roll, boom, this is going to be great for you. You're going to have to be the straw that stirs the drink, moving mm-hmm. the ball around, and then once the ball comes back around to you, you're going to knock down shots. Like Those are kind of the three, the three big checkboxes. Facilitate a great pick and roll game. Get everyone involved as the point guard, and then knock down shots, and and just be a guy that can kind of take over at times. And he's really done none of those three things in the first three games. And I even went on NBA.com just to find out how effective has he been as a ball handler in pick and roll points per possession. So it doesn't tell the whole story, but 
Uh, Dela ranks 46th among ball handlers in the NBA so far in pick and roll points per possession. He's just he's not very good. And he's not he's not consistent. You can't just like not show up for the first ten games right. and and uh, and then Especially, say, oh, you know what? That's yeah. all. I'll be, I'll be around for the next five. Don't worry about it. No, dude. When it's I know preseason is its own kind of beast, but we watched all those preseason games, and I was just floored by how easily he got to the rim. I kept saying like he was eighty percent of his shots in these games were yeah. at the rim, which was completely different than what we've seen from him before. And obviously, teams tighten up those rotations and those defensive schemes when the regular season kicks off. But yeah, it just hasn't even looked. I thought the preseason looked promising with him and Rudy, and it hasn't looked like that. And he's not taking a lot of threes. Uh, and it's just, you know, like I think in that spur, not not to, not to compare anyone to Chris Paul, but I'm pretty sure in that Suns game, Chris Paul had like 12 assists and one turnover. Mm-hmm. And then D'Lo had four assists and four turnovers, and Ant wasn't any better. But it's just like, that's a big, that's a big deal when you can have a 12-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio rather than 1-to-1. Um, and again, he just he just needs to... I don't know if it's trust himself more or trust the trust Finch's system, but they're not getting. I think the Timberwolves backcourt in general has probably been the most alarming thing because I think since we talked last week and since the whole Popeyes thing, like Carl's actually started to figure it out a little more. He had a really good game. I thought against Phoenix, yeah. like 27, 10, four efficient shooting. Um, he's making better passes. Uh, Kevin Harlan, as we talked about earlier, is a, is a goat, but, uh, Stan Van Gundy was really complimenting Carl on some of the reads he had. And so that's starting to come, too. And maybe maybe we're wrong. Like, maybe Carl is the glue now. They said that he could lead the team in assists. Um, I think he's like five and a half a game, and D'Lo is 5.8. So maybe well, he is a facilitator. Tim, Tim Connolly's vision is it, – it's different rosters, but that there's a there's a Jokic – I mean, he, he can yeah, pass, yeah, he can shoot. Sure. There's, a, there's a Jokic level in there somewhere. Um, some of this is a, is a good segue into Phil and Kyle read the comments here. Uh-oh. So we can we can always take your questions, your comments, your concerns, critiques, your theories on basketball or life or whatever via the Score North app. There's a feedback tab that you can just send us stuff. And uh, also, we're always reading and scanning the, the YouTube comment section and, and Twitter. But um, this is a great question from Charlie Buckets. On the Score North YouTube channel, please click subscribe and the like button to spread the word here. He says, why hasn't Anthony Edwards dunked at all this year? And I was like, well, that's a little bit hyperbolic, isn't it? <laughs> Come on. like he's thrown, he's thrown a couple down, hasn't he? Right. Okay, so Anthony Edwards in the first two years of his career had 128 dunks, according to basketball reference. Mm-hmm. He has no dunks through the first leg of the season here. Anthony Edwards has not dunked a basketball yet. Isn't that kind of weird? So has he passed was, up opportunities for lay? Is he just laying it up sometimes? I mean, you know, someone sent me a similar question about that on Twitter, and then they gave me what I would deem was maybe one of the spicier takes ever. But it was that doctors advised Ant to not dunk as much so that he could protect his knees a little more. I have no idea if that makes any sense to any of the doctors listening, huh. um, but it was it was good enough to make me think like, damn, that's a really good point. I don't think you that's might that. land. You might land weird if you if I, you throw it down. Or I something. guess I don't know. I mean, that's probably why you and I stopped dunking was to protect our knees. That's exactly why I did. Yes, yeah, but, and, and you can break a finger on the rim too. Right. And for yeah, me, I, I broke my elbow on the rim one time. I mean, I get up. So on the Fisher Price, I thought they're made of plastic. I just I I don't. I don't really think it's anything more than just a random outlier. I could see him have six dunks on Friday against the Bucks. Um, there, but there is a little to the fact that 
there's more cloggedness in the paint. Like Rudy Gobert, when Ant drives to the basket, Rudy Gobert is just mentally trained to like clean up messes. So he's like, okay, well, if Ant goes up to finish and he doesn't lay it in right, then I'll just tap it in. But the problem is, is that when Rudy goes closer to the basket, he brings his guy closer to the basket. And now Ant sees all this weight and height. And he's like, well, I don't know if I can do this. And then he kind of contorts his body and tries to finish. So, yeah. but I, I go back to, I said this to Dane earlier in the week. There's, there's no way Tim Conley and those guys and Sashin and all these didn't think of that, right? They didn't think of this summer like, okay, we got this kid who loves to attack the basket. What if we just put a couple cell towers in the lane? Is that going to affect him? I got to believe they have some some ways to fix that and get around that. But Anthony, Edward, Anthony Edwards dunking is a big part of his game. It leads to and one. It, it also just like energizes that team. It's a big play for them. Um and it is that's probably maybe the most go find a more shocking stat than Ant having zero dunks through eight games. I it I is yeah, it's bizarre. Can't find one. It is it is bizarre. There's a couple other weird Ant stat quirks. He's shooting fifty percent on corner threes so far this year. I think it's kind of a small sample. Okay. But, uh, but the the good news is he's he's taking more shots percentage wise at point blank range, so inside three mm-hmm. feet as yeah. classified. Then at any point in his career, like one third of his shots are coming at the rim. Mm-hmm. So he's either just choosing to go for layups instead for different reasons that you may or may not have mentioned, um, or he's making yeah maybe he maybe he I don't know maybe he's making a concerted effort to not dunk because of injury <laughs> risk. I, maybe, I don't maybe, know. Maybe in that old age of twenty one, <laughs> he's already trying to kind of take care of his body. But no, I think they they got to find a way to unleash that because. For better or worse, this kid signed here. Well, for better, but he signed here for the likely next decade, and you got Rudy Gobert on the same team. So, but in the same vein, I watched Donovan Mitchell dunk the ball a lot, and his teammate was Rudy Gobert. So it can't just be ants. You know, kind of back to your. You can't always be tired. It can't just be that there's big guys in the lane because you've dunked over those big guys before. You've, I mean, Anthony Edwards has dunked on Rudy Gobert. Yeah. So just I don't know. Pretend he's not on your team. Just try yeah. to jump over him. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Mike T chiming in here via the Scorn Earth app. He says, listening to Flagrant Howls from earlier this week, love the Timberwolves discussion. Could you and Kyle explain to a basketball noob like me, why can't you play Jordan McLaughlin more minutes? Why isn't he a full-time point guard? We love to use stats to back up takes. The stats bear out that this team plays better with him on the court compared to D'Lo. It can't be because he's not... Uh, it can't be because he's not a big name. Give me the productive player over the marquee name any day. Does the, does the organization get embarrassed that a big acquisition doesn't work? D'Lo's been an overall disappointment. So the, the general question here is, why, yeah. why do you have to limit Jordan McLaughlin's minutes? I mean, there's still, there is credence to the idea, right, in any sport that sometimes you just look a little better against. I mean, Jordan McLaughlin's minutes have usually come against second-tier guys, like bench mm-hmm. guys. That's a thing. Um, you could get, you should give him more minutes, uh, but I do think there is. You remember we talked about like the top twenty-two or whatever point guards, and D'Lo wasn't in there. I mean, at some point he becomes a defensive liability too. Even though I know D'Lo is not necessarily Tony Allen, but there. I mean, it, you just got to kind of figure out that every night then he's going to be going up against can. Is Jordan McLaughlin going to have the energy to do what he does or the ability to do what he does if on he has to guard De'Aaron Fox or he has to guard John Morant? I mean, you sometimes want to, you know, you can't just have your pitcher throw 102 for nine straight innings. Yeah. you got to have, you know, those matchups so that Jordan McLaughlin can kind of take advantage 
of being a better two than your team's two. But if you try to put your team's two against their one, it's just you're going to run into issues. So yes. I do think he needs more minutes, but I also there is like some logic to the fact of D'Lo still has a higher ceiling and a little better ability to guard some of these guys, even if it looks bad. And you have to have him out there, at least for now, to kind of stem the tide. Yeah, I think. It, 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 but it's a good question, throw, though. It is. You could throw Tyus Jones into this too, because yeah, exactly. That's yeah, it's a quintessential backup point. Although, the, in fairness, when when John Morant was out, he was good. Yeah. They won like every game, and Tyus Jones played thirty plus minutes yep. or whatever. But um, but the but the league and the market haven't dictated that he is a starting caliber point guard because he's still a backup. But um, here's my thought on it. I think you nailed some of it. If Jordan McLaughlin, so he, he's he's playing uh, 17 minutes a night right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. A large chunk of those minutes are against backups or mm-hmm. against he- heavy backup lineups. It's mm-hmm. it's not always as black and white as it's not like shift changes in hockey where now the backups come in. So yes. oftentimes it's blended lineups, but. Mm-hmm. But you're facing a larger percentage of backup lineups in the 17 minutes he's playing because he's mm-hmm. not starting the game, right? Mm-hmm. So if you were to give him 15 extra minutes a game or 20 extra minutes a game, get him up into like the 30, 35 minute mark, it's going to come against better players. So you're gonna you're gonna expose him to that. Um, also, he's not a very good shooter. You right. know, for his career, right. he's even like below league average as a three point shooter. Um, and he's not he's not going to create a lot of offense any other place on the court himself like he's not he's not a guy that's going to go and get you 20 or 25 points so when he's on the court it's even more pressure on everyone else to score points so that's a thing I'm not saying it can't work but it's a thing and then the other thing I would point to is he's 511 Delo is 64 and the wolves love just having yeah. length on defense and that was my hands point. in passing yep. lanes rebounding just everything. And so if you put a 5'11 guy out there for 35 minutes versus 17 minutes, does he get overexposed? Are our opposing teams going to be able to sort of, you know, take advantage of the lack of height there? Just the, I'm not saying that these are reasons to not try, but these are the, some of the reasons why he has not to this point. Yeah. He's not and, the most, like, athletic, dynamic guy either. So, you know. Well, there's a reason that the sixth man of the year comes off the bench, right? Like, sometimes those guys are just better suited to go get buckets or defend against second-tier guys. Like Russell um, Westbrook, future six man, almost had a triple double yeah, in like he looked good coming off the bench. Twenty six minutes and he had like a triple double and. <laughs> but the, you know the Tyus one is more is a really good comp, but it's also kind of an outlier because I think Tyus is maybe a more generic brand starter than he is. I mean he he's just a better player than Jordan McLaughlin, but he gets paid more. So the Wolves got a nice deal with with J Mac, but I mean, Jordan McLaughlin falls into like the Shabazz Napier bucket. He he had a stint here in Minnesota. Um, or some of these other, like Campaign, who they just played against the Suns. Campaign was drafted really high. He's not a starting point guard, but he is a really solid backup point guard, and sometimes yeah. that's just a thing. So to that question, he has to play more. they got to find ways to, you know, kind of acclimate him in more with maybe three starters or like Ant and Carl and some bench guys. But the, physic- the physical frame of him is what holds him back. It's probably also why Jalen Noel – as much as I want to like be his agent, probably is like a more suited for a elite bench role than a starter because at some point just your stature and your height and your weight and your lack of wingspan does affect your ability to defend even if you have the heart of a lion. Yeah. Uh so good question, but play him more, but I just don't know if he can ever be the actual starter for this team. Yeah, that's that's fair. It's It'd be nice if, just from a human dynamic standpoint, you could say, you know what? All right, so uh, 
egos aren't going to be bruised, but Jordan, you're going to play 27 minutes now, and D'Lo is going to be the punch off the bench with the second unit or something, but I just don't know that. I got to go back and look at this, but someone texted me that, they're like, remember when Finch convinced D'Lo to come off the bench for a little bit and Ricky Rubio was starting? And I can't remember how many games that was, but I do remember that being a thing. Yeah. And now that I mean, and I was thinking about because I'm such a degenerate and my brain sucks that I was watching that Lakers game last night and I was like, man, they really did get Westbrook to come off the bench and look really good. And then D'Lo looked really good with the second unit guys last year. I was like, hmm, put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. That's interesting. And that's where, as a head coach, yeah, you got to be good at X's and O's, but a lot of it's just oh like the God. Flip Saunders anecdote from the beginning of the show, right? It's about leveling with humans with huge contracts and egos and getting them to do what you want and play within a team construct. Actually, we were talking off mic as I slapped my mic in the face here <laughs> out of excitement. I was watching the, uh, the Redeem Team documentary or mm-hmm. movie on Netflix last night. So good. If you guys, the audience, if you haven't seen that yet, Must it's, watch. It is, it's a look back at the 2008 Olympic gold medal winning team, USA Basketball, that you know a, a section of that team got beat and embarrassed in 2004. And then they also lost in the world championships mm-hmm. a couple times in and yep. around that too. And a big chunk of the documentary was about, a lot of it was about Kobe and how Kobe was trying to rehab his entire image with the league and and he didn't yep. have any friends or anything, and he was just—it was like the softening of Kobe Bryant for the first time. But also, it was about how Mike Shashevsky, noted college basketball coach, was appointed as the guy to save USA basketball, and how he went about from a human connection standpoint, building relationships and respect with all these big egos and Hall of Fame players, LeBron and Wade and Kobe and all these guys. And it really is. I mean, this this is where Chris Finch is going to have his work cut out for him. It's. Things aren't going in the way that you wanted, which rarely happens. Like you're gonna have to make some adjustments, and it's not gonna be about necessarily drawing something different up on a whiteboard. It might be about leveling with humans and having conversations about leadership and effort and things like that. So, and that that, that that's why I I will make November Chris Finch month because we all know how he came in and replaced Ryan Saunders, and it was just literally in the middle of the night. Um, and he was just kind of like this shaggy-haired guy, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just, like, going to play some guys. And, like, he had a really cool bravado about him, and it really worked. And then it translated into the last season, and it really mm-hmm. worked. But him, too. And, by the way, like, if anyone even remotely is, like, thinking about firing Chris Finch, just, no. like, block me. Like, get away from me. I hate you. Yeah. Um, no. But I do think this is the first time that guy's really had expectations with his new like, – with his role – and just like some of these other guys, like real expectations, not just like, hey, can you break the playoff drought streak? Like you were talking second, you know, third round stuff. So it's going to be interesting. I really do think that you can come up with 42 different storylines to focus on this month. But it, to me, it's going to be Chris Finch. It's going to be, does he finally crack the glass and not close with the same guys he started with? Yeah. Does he lean into the hot hand approach? Um, and how does he manage? Because I always try to stress this, like we watch basketball the Wolves, 82 games a year for two hours, and then mostly we're just kind of on Twitter or whatever. Those guys are like, show up to the office every morning, and then they interact, and they sit in a meeting room, they sit on the practice court, and then they go have the cafeteria. Like, they're on the play. Like, they, they interact so much that you have to finesse those relationships. It's way more than what we see on TV, and that's why it's so much harder to just, like, okay, deal is pissing me off. I got to put Jordan McLaughlin in. Like, yeah. you can't make those rash decisions early on because it can actually be more detrimental long term 
even if it benefits you short term. Maybe Finch needs to appeal to egos a little bit. There's a there was an anecdote from Shashevsky in which That's they were such they, a good doc. They were approaching the the 2008 Olympics. It was right before they started playing games in the actual. So they had they had kind of built up this team over like three summers, mm-hmm. and now they are about to go play actual Olympic games in China. And he sits the team down beforehand, and he starts telling a story about how, guys, I'm a grandpa. I've got grandkids. And, you know, they sit on my lap, and they ask me about, hey, you know, what is, yeah, you know, grandpa, what do you do? I'm a, I'm a college basketball coach. And they start asking questions about, you know, did you ever win a championship, whatever. He says, someday, you guys are all going to be a bunch of granddaddies, a bunch of grandpappies. And your little granddaughter or grandson's going to hop up, sit on your lap, and, and they're going to ask you about that time you played in the Olympics. And they're going to say, Grandpa, what happened? What happened in the Olympics? And what are you going to say back to them? Are you going to say, well, we, uh, we lost to that Greek team. <laughs> and then the story's over, and then they just go to Grandma? He goes, how do you want that story to go with your grandkids? It's like, oh man, run that, through a that, wall. Yeah, I was like, I'm ready to run through a wall. You know, isn't Coach K like unemployed? They should maybe just have him come speak they to the should. team. Yeah, that, that might be the answer. Finch, listen, we, listen, Carl, Rudy, people are going to ask that one time where the Timberwolves traded for two seven footers. Uh, how did that season play out? Ah, uh, well, we got to the play in as the nine seed, and then. <laughs> We got beat by the Pelicans, and uh, then yeah, they we traded get, everyone. We just got to get Carl and D'Lo and Rudy to sit on Coach K's lap, and we'll figure it out. That 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 doc was so good, and you're right. That little moment, there's so much good footage that you've never seen before. And again, I am probably – I know you're with me on this. We're, we're sickos together, but I just am so into, like, that behind-the-scenes, like, the kind of subconscious or, the you know, the psychological stuff that goes into playing sports. Um, because, again, it's more than the two hours you see warming up and – playing a game and icing your legs. Uh, there really is some ego and politics and, you know, personality that goes into this. And I th- think that's what we're starting to navigate with this team in November is, okay, you, it didn't start as well as you thought. Some of that's on us, right? They shouldn't be 7-1. and one. Like, there's mm-hmm. really good teams they've played. I mean, they, they've beat the Thunder, and the Thunder have beaten everyone. Um, but now you're kind of hit some adversity. It's getting a little colder. Teams are starting to figure it out a little more. What what are you going to do to pivot now as, you know, your competition is starting to get tougher? Amen. So, all right. Well, this is probably a good stopping point here before we, uh, you know, get too far down the road of just playing Jordan McLaughlin for all 48 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So we'll let them play a couple more games, and, uh, and we'll be back with a couple episodes next week of flagrant howls as we still would like the Timberwolves to win 50 games mathematically. It's a little more challenging when you're only 500 after uh, your first eight, but it is still... Very much possible. So, all right, he's Kyle. I'm Phil. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you next time.